Muñoz en el arco, la defensa es colosal. González, Orlando, la torre, Nicolás, Fuentes y Chumpitas. Chale, Mifrin y Cubillas y el gran Pericoleón. Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la selección. Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Galindo, joining me. In Washington, D.C. is Christopher Viscardo. Christopher, how are you doing this evening? Compared to, you know, a few nights ago and all the crazy, crazy stuff that has been going at our other nation's capital, Lima, Peru, I'm doing much better, actually. And I'm happy to, to get my mind away from other things into, you know, more soccer, really. You know, there's nothing soccer to really be able to distract one and calm one from uh, the troubles of life. Precisely. That is, that is why we are here. And I can promise you that none of us are going to dissolve. So uh, we will be here unlike Congress in Peru. So also joining us is Kevin Montalvan. Kevin, how are you? Hi, Peter. I'm doing well. I'm just, uh, you know, glad to, to see what, you know, the highlights from the last couple of weekends, aside from los El Gol de Vizcara. <laughs> yes well unfortunately for you kevin we, we will have to talk about something that was uh maybe a little bit hard to take over the weekend uh that was the super classico between universitario and alianza lima universitario winning that one one to nil it was a fairly early goal that ended up winning it at least slightly early ish in the game 24 minutes from alberto quintero that was the difference in the match mind you it wasn't due to a lack of trying from alianza because they had maybe a legitimate penalty shout turned down during the game um, and had 14 shots to universitarios 12 mind you none of their shots were on target laus at least defensive performance definitely much improved with that win however universitario now extends their lead at the top of the Clausura at the moment. That now lead now stands at five points through nine games. So, Viz, with all this in mind, considering Universitario's form and the fact that they finally got one over Bengoche's Alianza, how do you feel about their chances come the playoffs beginning? Assuming that, that they do, of course, win the Clausura from here on out, which looks pretty possible. Well, I think that their chances for the national title, I mean, this was a very decisive game. Then we have a game against Sporting Cristal coming up pretty soon here, if I'm not mistaken. And if, you know, they're able to pull that game off against Sporting Cristal, then to me, that's basically it. I mean, as long as they can keep that lead, which I'm assuming that in equal conditions with other teams, they would be able to then uh, I think that Universitario can start thinking of the semifinals at the end of the year. I believe last scenario I saw, if the league was to just kind of close today and we were to go right into the playoffs, that they would be facing uh, Binacional in a possible uh, semifinal round. And honestly, Binacional is not doing that great. I mean, they had a first first great half of the year, but the second half, hasn't been as wonderful as their first, obviously. And so, therefore, I think that Universitario needs to start... Well, first of all, needs to worry about the game against Sporting Cristal. And then they they should be able to cruise right into the playoffs. Now, regarding that game with Cristal, both teams are going to see themselves decimated as they will both be contributing players to the pre-Olympic squad. 
and also to the main uh, senior national squad. So it will be interesting to see what, what both sides can muster uh, regarding that. That is very true. Should also be pointed out that that will be a massive factor. Classic Sporting Cristal in 2019, they're going to be shorthanded again for a crucial game. Seems like that's happened to them all year so far. Um, Kevin, from an Alianza perspective, this was a game where they did have chances. They obviously had a legitimate penalty shout turned down during the game. So it did look like committed a foul on that set piece. First of all, what were your thoughts on that? And just in general, the game from an Alianza perspective. So I have no doubt that that was a legitimate penalty shout. But as far as the game itself, uh, putting my, you know, the love of my club aside, it was it was nice to see the the largest stadium in South America packed. So that, that must have been a great atmosphere. I think um, some tourists put it posted online, a lot of videos and whatnot. Coming into the game, I knew that it was going to be close, and the score pretty much reflects it. There was only, I know that there was you know twelve, fourteen shots, but it, it only looks like a few real chances from each side, maybe two or three during each half. Coming out of it, 1-1, 1-0, the, the clubs themselves were were pretty close. I think Omiso came into it with a with a pretty solid strategy. I think La was on a, what, four or five-game win streak. Mm-hmm. So I, you, you can't argue with their position on the table. They pretty much have it all served up to, to reach the final this year. And, and Binacional has not been doing too well this clausura. So I can't speak on that. As far as actually making it to the final, I think their match against Cristal is pretty much the the decider. And they both have seeded a lot of players to the selección, whether it's the, the adult side or the U23s. So it's going to be an interesting game for each of them. Definitely will be. That Cristal game in a lot of ways will be like the final, I guess, before the final. Just to wrap it up before we move on to the national team, which will be a perfect segue, um, who was your standout performer of the game? We'll go around the table to close it out. So, Viz, who was your, I guess, man of the match in, in the Clásico? That is a good question and somewhat of a difficult question. This might be controversial, but I'm going to say Aldo Corso because obviously the fact that uh, he committed a penalty but was able to get away with it actually mattered a lot in the end. Uh, the game, I mean, this whole situation would be different if they had tied, you know, if both teams had ended up with one point each. But uh, Aldo Corso being tricky, as he's been tricky in the past, in my opinion, for example, with the national team in that game, game against Colombia, to me, he's somewhat of a infamous man of a match. Kevin, who was your top performer from the classical? I'm gonna say Quintero because he was the the most dangerous for Lau. But I, it it really it really could have been either him or Holberg. They they seem to have, have built a good chemistry for Lau at this point. For me, there were a couple of of standouts. I was going to go uh, Holberg, but feel like just because of the situation that he's kind of landed himself in, I feel like he was kind of a polarizing figure after the call-ups, but I thought that Alfa Jeme was quite solid in the game as well, kind of continuing his pretty solid form throughout 
the season, really. He was sitting in front of the defense, shielding them well. Obviously, when you have a young center back behind you, your responsibilities are heightened a little bit, but I thought his passing was was pretty crisp, pretty calm under pressure as well. One, at least half, if not more than his defensive duels, I don't have the, the exact numbers in front of me, but he was quite disciplined with his uh, defending. And in general, I thought that he had a very solid game and that's going to do him a world of good entering these friendlies for Peru here against Uruguay. Speaking of those friendlies, of course, the Peru squad was unveiled uh, late last week and for the most part there were the usual suspects as we saw but there were some surprises Alfa Jeme chief among them now this was complicated by the fact that the under 23 team have friendlies of their own at around the same time as they gear up for the pre-olympic tournament the qualifiers to get them to Tokyo 2020 and as Christopher and I discussed the previous week Gadeka was probably going to respect that process and allow Solano and his staff to basically pick the under-23 players that he wanted and therefore would be allowed to basically do their thing. So the squad did have a couple of surprises. Um, There was a, a general takeaway, though, basically that Gadeka's strategy of calling up more experienced seasoned players is not really the way to go considering that they also have to have one eye on the 2022 world cup and the latter stages of qualifying so viz what was your take or what is your take on that entire situation what what do you think about gareca's strategy i myself trust him i always will i don't care what do you think i agree with you it is true that we need to try new players, and and I think that a good coach always tries to keep a you know somewhat of a mindset of trying different options. I think that Gareca has surprised us all with the the different strategy that he tried against Brazil, and it, it obviously play, paid out really well. Uh, and I I hope that he continues to innovate uh, in in months to come. But at the same time, this is not an easy situation with the return of the pre-Olympic tournament to Comebol in in other years. Well, not not only is is the return of the pre-Olympic tournament an issue, but also the fact that the World Cup itself is getting moved about five six months from where it, it is from when it's usually played. So this somewhat different calendar, an extra tournament. Uh, has made it so that the we're, we're going to coincide here with Norberto uh, Solano preparing a different team to play in this pre-Olympic tournament. In, in, in other years, all of that would have already been solved with the under-20s tournament. So I think that Garenka deciding to respect Solano and not call any younger players is actually, in the end, it will actually be beneficial because... It means that even though he's not incorporating maybe two or three players into the national team, he's letting a whole generation, right, the under-23 generation, uh, get used to playing together. Because in the end, we're not going to be replacing one or two positions. We're going to be replacing all all 11 uh, as we, you know, play these next qualifiers, you know, from now into the next uh, four years. So even though... 
it in the short term it doesn't seem like a, a great solution uh, not to call some of these younger players up. I think in the long term we're going to see some something come come off of this, and uh, I mean it's worked out in the past having generations of players that stick together, play well together. Uh, if you want to paraphrase uh, another saying, but uh, in in the end I think that it, it will all all work out in, in Peru's favor. And, and like you said, Peter, I mean, I, I personally also trust that Gareca know what he's doing, so I'm not too worried. Talking about the under-23s, of course, why Quevedo, Givin, other candidates who probably would have gotten a look-in are not here, um, and that does kind of complicate the matter. So that is that. Kevin, what are your thoughts on just that general opinion and, and Gareca's uh, strategy with the call-ups as a whole? I think... Uh... Gareca's trying to, to work with Ladies Gareca right now while also respecting Solano's process. I, I also think that, you know, he's going to continue to to rock the 4-3-3. It looks like he, has, he brought a lot of midfielders for that setup. Canchita, Yotun Tapia, and then you have Bayon, Asquez, Alfa Jeme. So I'm sure we, we will see some players like, like Bayon and Asquez maybe get more minutes in these friendlies coming up to see how well that, that system could work. As far as the younger players, I'm going to be honest, looking at the list, while, while I'm happy for a lot of them to have made the U23s, I don't think that these guys are ready to start for the senior side or, or be more than, than a squad player at, at this time. So it, it, it's good for them to, to actually face in, um, international competition, be starters um, in the, the friendlies against Colombia, I believe. And, and see where their, their level is at at this time. Yeah, that's the other caveat too, is that maybe outside of Quevedo and even him, you have to say, like, is he fully 100% ready to play for the national team? I mean, obviously you, you have to find out, I guess, by playing him. But look, we're not in training. We don't see the tendencies of these players every single day. Gadeca does, the coaching staff does. They do their due diligence. And listen, it's gotten them this far. They've gone to a Copa America final and to a World Cup. Clearly, he's doing something right, and that's why I 100% trust him. Plus, at the same time, you also have to keep in mind, if you drop one of, let's say, Asquez or Bayon, or or you don't call up Alfa Jeme, who really comes in and replaces them? Okay, Alexis Arias would be one candidate, but other than him, who else really is there outside of that under-23 group that's already occupied? There isn't anybody else. Christian Benevente, maybe for the attacking positions, but he isn't starting a lot, and as we know... Unless you are a key figure for the national team, Gareca's not going to call you up unless you're playing regularly in a competitive league. So that is also that. And that's also kind of why Wilder Cartagena's kind of fallen down the uh, the depth chart, as it were, because of his return to Peru. Looking at the actual squad itself, I mean, again, not a lot of surprises outside of the ones that we have mentioned. Paolo Guerrero is back. Jordi Reina's the only other forward. So with that in mind, Kevin, are you seeing inclinations that Gareca might go 4-3-3 again for these Uruguay games? Maybe just to test it out a little bit further, considering there's only two forwards in this group. I guess a couple others could play up front, but out-and-out forwards, there is only two here. Yes, I'm I'm definitely seeing uh, at least starting a 4-3-3. Then afterwards, we might, you know, slot back into a... A four-two-three-one, depending on how how fit Cueva is, or 
Actually, Jordi Reina, I, I believe, is is pretty comfortable playing a ten or right, you know, right behind the the forward or four four two even, yep. just to see what what might be a, a possible situation there during the during the qualifiers. And it certainly wouldn't hurt, you know, if, if we play counter, like we there was plenty of good situations to counter against Uruguay back in back in the qualifiers leading up to Russia. Jordi could be a perfect fit for that. And this might be one of those those opportunities to see how well that works. So Viz, assuming 4-3-3 is what Gareca opts for, um, there is no Pedro Aquino this time because he picked up a minor injury. Now there are some options there. Assuming that there is a midfield three, who would be the starters for at least one of those games? I'm sure he'll mix it up for both, but like if you were to kind of get into Gareca's mind and predict which three midfielders he could go with, who would they be? Unless you think maybe he goes back to 4-2-3-1, given the fact that he doesn't have a lot of, I guess, quote-unquote, trusted options. I mean, we, we say that he doesn't have trusted options, but I, a lot of the names that we have seen in, in previous match dates are back. I kind of uh, recall seeing somewhat of a similar situation even if the players are not quite designed for a 4-3-3, I, I personally would, would go with Canchita, Gonzalez, Jotun, and, and Tapia and just like keep, keep it really classic, you know, just same old, same old, basically. Uh, I think that those three players know each other and, well, obviously Jotun and Tapia have played together long enough that I I, I could see that, you know. I, I think that we could see Canchita... Um, kind of on the left there, becoming part of that that trident. Um, I, I don't think it's too too much of a stretch. So, so quick follow-up to you then, Viz, because when, when I look at maybe the composition of the player pool, I see a team that maybe could be better suited for 4-3-3. I don't know, just because it does protect the fullbacks a little bit more, I guess. But also, you do have three very talented midfielders in Tapia, Yotun, and Aquino when he's fit. Um, do you think this is the best formation for the team, or do you think it's still four-two-three-one? Uh, well, I, I think that uh, that depends. I think that that depends on who you have uh, in front of you, and uh, in situations uh, like the one that we saw against Brazil, I, I really like the four-three-three, and I think that that would be good for us to keep in mind when we might face teams such as Uruguay or Argentina on the road, especially. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you have an Ecuador or you have an Uruguay at home or a Chile, you know, at home, then I think going, re- just reverting back to, to what we had before, as long as we can have both Tapia and Yotun in, in good shape and we don't have, you know, the Tapia like Yotun that were shaky during the Copa America, then uh, th- that is also uh, that would to me would be a more viable option than the four three three. I think that staying versatile and having different options is not a bad idea, and I don't think that we can that we need to just compromise with one style of play, especially because we have we're not building a squad right now. We have a squad that knows that knows each other uh, pretty well, and so I think that 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 is an advantage that we have over some other teams in South America at the moment, and. Uh, and it's something that it can work in our favor uh, when it comes to uh, kind of devising new new tactics. 
like you said, you're going to face different opponents, different situations. Uh, we all know South America can be very random in that way. So having different systems to play in, I think will really behoove Peru. And it definitely could have benefited them during Copa America, maybe earlier in the tournament, maybe could have prevented as many slip-ups in the group stage. Kevin, looking at the defense, we see that Carlos Zambrano is not starting for Dinamo Kiev. And that, I think, we all expected to happen. That's why he was trying to get a move out of there and had lots of interest, but he ended up staying. Now, he ended up starting for Peru in September. Um, at least the Brazil game came, came in in the second half against Ecuador. But considering that Anderson Santa Maria is now picking up more minutes at Atlas, considering Alexander Cayens, albeit at both left back and center back, is playing regularly for New York City, who recently won the Eastern Conference in MLS and are probably going to be an MLS Cup favorite, would you change the right-sided center back partner for Luis Abram, or would you stick with Sambrano despite his lack of minutes at club level? So the the nice thing about about these friendlies is that they're they're both against the same opponent. So we we it's basically like having you know a match against Uruguay for 180 minutes. We have time to, to you know to play Zambrano or Santa Maria. Uh, I don't see Callum's playing on the right in these friendlies, but I, I'm fairly certain we'll get we'll have them we'll have all four of our center backs tested out. But knowing Gareca. I think Zambrano will start since he is building quite a bit of chemistry with Abram at this time. Would you agree with that, Viz? Would you like to see Zambrano stay next to Abram? I, I, I would hope so. I, I understand that it is worrisome not to have Zambrano uh, having regular minutes, but also the national team has been used uh, by Gareca as a way to give players minutes and also to show off players. Uh, and if Sambrano can show that he has at least uh, that he still has the trust of Gareca and that he has some consistency in his play, even with his lack of minutes, uh, then that could potentially even be helpful for Sambrano um, going into you know the going into a new season or or a mid-season market uh, in Europe. Uh, which seems to be what he likes, you know, he likes to see in Europe. And so maybe, maybe this is, well, uh, well, personally, I'm, I'm a Sembrano fan as wow. of late, right? I know. <laughs> the, the Viz from a year ago is, is looking at me really, really funny. Uh, but personally, I'm a Sembrano fan as of late. And I think that he has some good chemistry with Abram. So might as well just keep them together for now give them you know another chance and if uh changes need to be made we can make changes uh in the next match dates in november and always getting a look at center backs as kevin said it doesn't matter considering that you're facing the same opponent home and away so you can kind of test them in different elements as well which is always good before we maybe close out the show i want to ask a couple of pertinent questions here first one to you kevin luisa ram we were going to discuss this last week until we just got a litany of listener questions, but Luis Abram had a partidazo for Belles against River Plate. Now, considering this was at the Monumental, considering the quality of opponent, it was obviously incredible to see from a Peruvian perspective. We've now seen that with Peru, he's been very, very solid since he became a starter at Copa America. Do you think that he is 
even without a shadow of a doubt, I mean, you, you can be definitive if you want, but do you think that he is definitively Peru's best center back that's currently in the pool? So I, I really, really like the growth of Aurán. I, I think he, he's definitely on the path to being the, the best center back in our pool. But I want to say uh, Zambrano edges him out just due to his experience at this point. Yeah, I, I think because, especially because it doesn't seem like we have some other, like none of the other options are like really appealing. No, no, no other options like really stand out. It seems like we're just having, we're going through somewhat of a rough patch with all our center backs. So if everybody's kind of average, then you just, pick whatever seems somewhat above average. And I think that Zambrano is still above average, per se. I mean, he's good, but, but I guess what I'm trying to say is that none of our other center backs really seem to be having, uh, you know, very noteworthy worthy seasons, so therefore, stick to Zambrano. To close it out, let's maybe go around the table and discuss what it is specifically we want to see from Peru in these two games against Uruguay. It can be literally anything you want. So, uh, Kevin, what is it you want to see the most from the national team during these games? More shots on target. <laughs> I'm in agreement. <laughs> but um, I, w- I would also like to, to give an... Uh, you know, some minutes to our, our other right, our other fullbacks, you know, Corso and and Marcos Lopez. I think they need to, you know, get some more minutes in, get some more chemistry with the with the rest of the squad. I think that can be the case as well for maybe potentially some of the wingers too. Um, we know that obviously Gabriel Costa had a very good September window as well, so maybe he gets some continuity there, fights for that spot with Carrillo. Who knows? Christopher, what do you want to see? from Peru in these games? I want to see Gareca try that 4-3-3 in Montevideo. Montevideo is always a place that is tough for Peru. In comparison to Santiago, we've actually managed a few victories over, over the years in Montevideo, but this this new system uh, and what we saw against Brazil gives me hope that uh, we could see a decent performance uh, from Peru at uh, Estadio Centenario. Other than that, I think I would like to see him and have a few minutes just to see if, uh, just so that Garekin can have everybody eat their words, you know? And uh, by by everybody, I mean some people that you and I know, Peter, that uh, were critical of Gareca and uh, his uh, picking Alfa Hemen to be on the squad this, this month. So to me, those would probably be the top two things I would like to see. I am in agreement with you there, but I feel like Kevin's first point about more shots on target is one I definitely agree with. My God, just shoot the damn ball when you're in a position to shoot it. The worst thing you can do is miss the target and it goes out for a goal kick or it gets deflected in in some way. Like, come on, let's just shoot more. Um, I feel like I'm going to keep saying that, though. We're all going to keep saying that for the next little while because I feel like we are like broken records in that regard. It's been happening for a long time. I am here with the owner of Warriors of Uruguay on Twitter. Uh, He covers the Uruguayan national team in English, and I highly recommend following him to get all of the latest insights and news on Uruguayan players. Dave, thank you for joining me, and welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. No problem. 
All right, so I can't think of a better place to start other than the forwards, because when people think Uruguay, they think Godin, they think Suarez and Cavani, but seeing as how we're talking about the forwards, we will start with Suarez and Cavani, both of whom who've dealt with their injuries over the last couple of years, Suarez in, in particular. Um, Cavani, as we know, is still dealing with some injury issues. So with all this in mind, do you think that Tavares will start with both of them, or will someone like Maxi Gomez, for example, get a chance in at least one of the games? Um, yes, I, f- I think Cavani maybe won't get a call-up because he's, um, he's now out for six weeks and still struggling. Tarbes always say they are in good contact with the clubs um, to know what's best for the players. And in this case, I think it's the best for Cavani and for Paris Saint-Germain that Cavani stays in Paris. So I think Maxi Gomez or Jonathan Rodriguez will get chances in the upcoming break. Suarez, he's back, but I mean, like you say, he's, he's been struggling constantly the last two years with injuries. And, and it has, it has affected his form. Uh, so I think he won't play uh, 180 minutes in these, uh, in these games. So I think there will be chances for Maxi Gomez and Jonathan Rodriguez, yes. And maybe Darwin Nunez as well. Yeah, and we will talk about Darwin Nunez uh, a little bit later, as well as Brian uh, Rodriguez, both very exciting players at the moment. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but that is good to know, um, especially for someone like Gomez, who has started the season really well in Valencia. Um and he's definitely one of the many exciting players that Uruguay has. On that same sort of topic, we've seen Tabares use a couple of different combinations in the midfield because we know he has a lot of options there. Uh, do you think he'll mix it up in, in both games or will he stick to uh, a specific combo depending on the formation that he uses? I think he will mix it up because he's now... Because normally we we always play four four two and really boring formation of course and the wing wing uh, the wings always uh, need to well they're really um, <laughs> they need to defend basically so <laughs> they never <laughs> get freedom to go forward um, but now uh, he's mixed it up four five one or four two two three one however you want to say it he plays it uh, more than enough more than we did in a ten years before. And he plays um, sometimes a 4-3-3 with Jordan Dallas Cayeta as a false nine. was against USA. Um, so it's refreshing to see. And um, you can see the players uh, need to adapt to it because um, you can play the formation, but it's, it's, it's uh, these instructions that have been given for so many years to, well, to basically defend. <laughs> and and let, <laughs> let, let, the, let the attacking play be done by Suarez and Cavani because... Before it was basically, we always had to react to the opponent's play. And when we had the ball, quick counter-attack with Suarez uh, and Cavani and Carlos Sanchez, who was important with it, uh, with, with good delivery. But there was no real um, um, attacking play like you see in the, in the modern football. Um, but now we're getting more of it because we have the midfielders for Torreira, Bentacur, Valverde, even Nandes. They can, they can keep possession and they can break down an opposition. And and we need to play a formation that suits them. We don't need to play a formation that suits Tabarez because we know what suits him. But we need to suit these midfielders to get the best out of them. And I think he's searching for it. So that's that's positive. On that same topic, which of those midfielders do you have 
the most confidence in because there are a lot of, of, of different players in those positions that have really uh, had seen their stocks risen over the last year or two. But more specifically recently, we've seen uh, Fede Valverde really get an opportunity at uh, Real Madrid and he's taken it very well so far. Who of that group do you have the most confidence in? So if you would ask me this question like one year ago, I would say Lucas Torreira without a, without a doubt. So for me, he's probably the best midfielder I've seen uh, um, for Uruguay um, in my lifetime. Maybe the potential he can reach. Not So so he's, he's the best. But what you see now is... Um, He's being played out of position at the Arsenal, so last yeah. night as well, and it's really frustrating because in Sardoria he was he was uh, like the starting point of of the attack, and 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 he, he had two midfielders at the other side of him. He had the number ten like Gaston Ramirez in front of him, and then he had two strikers to hit with uh, with his passes, and the game was in front of him, and he was really comfortable at it. He had he was great defensively, but he also was really good in attack uh, and. Yeah, he was he was great, and and he, he became one of the best midfielders in Italy then, at that side, and now he's being played as a box to box, and and it's it's not his position, so he's not maybe he can't develop um, how he should develop if he would play at the at the sixth position. So I think he will he will he will get it right eventually, and I think he will hit his potential, and he will show that he is he's like the leader of this Uruguay midfield. But for now, um, yeah, I think Federico is 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 doing well. Um, um, he did well at the Madrid derby. I mean, you could see he had some of these passes that you will say he's nervy. So mm-hmm. he is, but he's a great player, and he's the thing about him. He is a box-to-box midfielder for me because uh, um, his lungs are amazing. He's a guy got a good hit. He's got a good ball recovery. Um, yeah, so. Like you said, we have got a lot of good midfielders, um, and maybe some of them don't really get the chances they need, like Bentakur, who's, who's been sitting on the bench a lot now. But yeah, altogether we got a really promising midfield. And who's the best? Who's the most promising? I would say Torreira, but all of them got a potential they could hit that will make them like world beaters, and 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 that's that's exciting. Definitely is. You guys are definitely blessed in that position and yeah. many, many teams, I'm sure, are envious of that. Uh, they would kill to have even one midfielder of that caliber and you guys have five or six. So um, yeah. <laughs> now you, you spoke about the formation and, and, and how they might line up and whatnot. Um, we saw in the quarterfinal at the Copa America against Peru that they did actually really thrive on on the counterattack. They dominated the game. They were just unfortunate with the offsides and the finishing uh, to some degree. And then, of course, ended up losing on penalties. Um, Do you think Tavares will use a similar strategy from that quarterfinal, considering it looks like Peru might use uh, the 4-3-3 that was utilized to some success against Brazil last month? Um, So do you think that might change how he might approach this? Or do you think that he might still see weaknesses in, in Peru's game specifically on the flanks? Well, it's hard to tell. I mean, um, I'm not sure. I think he will go for a 4-4-2 for at the start and, and then use like um, probably Benta, Curaficino in the middle and then Nandes at the right and the left, Jordan de Arascaeta. I think he will 
will hit the flanks, maybe. But I'm not sure, to be honest. I'm not sure he will. He will like it. So it's a friendly. So he will probably try and implement, implant some some of his ideas and then and try out some players like Nunez, who hasn't got a lot of, who hasn't got any minutes yet, and Lozano, who hasn't got a lot of minutes yet. But I think he will focus on on trying them and seeing what they can bring, rather than like um, trying to uh, hit the weaknesses of Peru. Fair enough. Um, you mentioned Nunez there. He's still in the squad, uh, along with Brian Rodriguez. Um, yes. How do you think they will be utilized in these games? I mean, perfect opportunity for them to to see some minutes against an opponent that they will be meeting during the qualifiers. Yeah, um, I think Nunez, uh, the thing is he's got like four attackers in front of him still, four strikers. So I think he will get some minutes, but not a lot. Uh, for Rodriguez, um, so he is a player we we like crave for because he's he's like a modern winger. He's really quick. He's got goals. He's got assists. He's like the Sane, Mane, Salah type of winger because he's really direct. He's the the wingers before they maybe got 10, 15 goals a season maximum. They were great to watch, but they did weren't let that prolific. And he is like the modern winger. He's really prolific. And if Uruguay want to be something like a World Cup winner or a Copa America winner at the world stage, we got to have these wingers. So if you look like four years ahead, we got Maxi Gomez in the front. We need two wingers like Brian Rodriguez and maybe Santiago Rodriguez from Nacional. I'm just saying something, but pretty like that. Because he is a player, he is so important to get the midfielders going in because uh, he creates the space. His, his, his presence attracts a lot of attention. And he creates space between the lines for the midfielders to hit. So he's important. And I think Tabaras uh, acknowledges, acknowledges it. So I think he will play again, maybe start the game and then um, come as a substitute. And I think he already will be really important for us in the qualifiers. I think he, before 2022 World Cup, he will probably hit 20 or 25 appearances for Uruguay already. He's a player who obviously had rave reviews after the U20 World Cup, um, got the move to LAFC, and you imagine from there he's going to just keep growing and growing and then obviously go to Europe. And if he's playing for Uruguay, you know, all the more reason that he's going to boost his stock. He's a player that I'm really excited about watching, much like, yeah. I mean, a lot of these players in the team. <laughs> um, yeah. But before we, we, we close it out, Dave, um, obviously Diego Goldin is one of the heartbeats of the national team still playing at a very high level went to enter really seamless transition for him so far um at least in the initial stages like from now until let's say for the next couple of years worth of, of qualifiers how much will Tavares lean on him going forward here yeah that's a good question because Godin in these Copa America and the World Cup I mean, he was great. You could see he was aging because if you really want to push forward with their game, um, so with the midfielders, you're gonna allow more space. Yeah, more space between your defender and your your goalkeeper. And he hasn't got a pace to cover for it. Gman has, of course, yes, he's he, he's great, but he hasn't. And and he's a great defender. And I would compare it to Lugano. Lugano when he came to his uh, final years, mm-hmm. also a great defender. But he didn't got the the physical the pace to cover for for some spaces. Uh, um, and you know every every team Peru, uh, Carrillo, 
they they got they got attackers. They are so rapid, and 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 of course you can control them with like good defending, so tactical know-how. But um, for Godin, it will be really hard uh, if he if he um, if he really deteriorates in terms of uh, pace to cover for it. So I think he will play a part in the World Cup qualifiers, and I also think he might play the World Cup. But I think next to Jimenez. He won't be there for too long if we want to compete um, um, in the world stage. But um, that's okay. I mean, he's 33 now, 32, I'm not sure. One of these two. So he will be 35, 36 at the World Cup. So, I mean, that's rare for a defender to play at that age, at that, at that stage. Uh, we got a lot of um, promising defenders uh, coming up, like Bruno Mendes, for example. So either way, we'll be fine. Yes, that you will. Uruguay always has a plan, it seems, yeah. to replace their, their outgoing <laughs> legends. Yes, very much so. So, um, I mean, you touched on it there, just to close it out. In the last couple of years, we've seen an evolution from Garra Charrua to maybe a more flexible and, and fluid side, given the young creative players that Uruguay has. Um, how is that transition going in your mind obviously they still have the garra in them but it, it just seems like Tavares has kind of given them more creative freedom so how is that going um yeah it's it, that's right because we we do see it um i think the players who come through still have that garra like Jimenez, uh maxi gomez as well um but yeah you could see there is there are more modern players um i mean i loved arafala rios he was he was a beast but he wasn't a player. He wasn't a player compared that could ever compare to someone like Pentacur in terms of quality. Um, so it's a positive change. But like you said, we don't need to lose our values. And 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 so I like to see this. The thing is, I love to see good football. But I also really love to see a Uruguay side doing really not a lot in a game, fighting a lot and winning one 0 I'm okay with that. <laughs> I, I I know we won't win the World Cup with it, but for for a, for a game, I really love it. But we need to find a balance in it, and and I think Tavares is maybe this is another topic to touch on. But I think Tavares might not be the right manager to get this transformation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's for another day, maybe. But we he is searching for it, and 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 you could see the difference between this Uruguay side and maybe a Uruguay side of four years ago. Yeah, th- that is something that did kind of surprise me towards the end of, of, of the last qualifiers that Tavares kind of, you know, gave Valverde a chance. He, he gave Bentancourt a chance. It, it was great to see from just a neutral perspective because, I mean, Uruguay had all these talented players, but they just weren't being utilized properly. And then finally, he kind of allowed them to just do their thing. So you got to give him credit for that, I guess. But I do yeah, probably sure. agree with yeah. you that if, if they want to to, I guess, really get more out of it. They probably will need a different coach, but I think we all know that eventually Tavares, as crazy as that sounds, because he's been there forever, uh, his time will come to an end, and then you got to transition into the next coach. It's it's like Tavares, he, he chooses himself when to go. It's okay for now, because I understand it. Like Wenger, maybe. Arsene Wenger, the mm-hmm. same. He just went to go. And the final thing I wanted to say is, uh, like, Jordan Arascaeta, mm-hmm. um He's a player. He's a really, really good player. You can see it. Flamengo. He's yes. he's uh, he's amazing, and he doesn't make it in the Uruguay team. And 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 people he gets criticized by Uruguayan uh, fans sometimes that he doesn't show it at uh, for Uruguay. But the thing is, he 
he doesn't play 90 minutes for the full 90 minutes. He rarely does it. And when he does, he plays at the position that is not his own and a position where he gets a lot of defensive work. And the Arasqueta, and there are not a lot of a lot of them, is a player you have to... He's a special player and you have to give him a special role. I mean, he... If you want to play with the midfield tree and him in front of him and you you let him just attack, so you say, okay, you defend, he attacks because he is so amazing. He will he will create five chances um, for Suarez and Cavani and he, he wins games eventually. And his defensive work might be important, but it doesn't win you games. I mean, you have to you have to free him from his uh, defensive duties and and let him show his magic because he's great. And Tavares, the thing is, he's too pragmatic to allow that and. And that's a shame, I think. But okay, that's that's the way it is. Yes, definitely is. Agree with you there. Um, I guess before we go, Dave, uh, if you want to tell the people where they can follow the Uruguayan Warriors page on Twitter, you may. And if you want to plug anything else, the stage is yours. So um, you can follow it at Uruguayan Heroes. Uh, thanks a lot if you want to. Um, and one more thing I want to say is I might might be intending Uruguay against of Hungary against Uruguay in November, uh, so I'm trying to work on that. So I will give an update on it. Awesome! All right, you heard the man. Give him a follow, and I do highly recommend it if you want your news on the Uruguayan national team and its players in English because it's a great page. He does a great job updating everybody. That's how I get all my, all my information on Uruguay, so I, I do recommend it. So, Dave, listen, thank you so much for joining us yet again, and uh, good luck to the national team both yeah. this month and in the future as well. Uh, we will be we will take it easy this month for you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Okay, thank thanks you. a lot for having me. Thanks a lot for having me. Thank you. So that'll do it for us this evening. Uh, thank you for listening. You can follow the show at Peru Waltz. You can follow myself, Peter Galindo, at Galindo PW on Twitter. Viz, uh, where can the people follow you on Twitter? And if you have any shout outs, the stage is yours. All my uh, shout outs shout outs were uh, dissolved by Biscarra. So you can find me at uh, VIZ underscore FC. Oh, incredible. I feel like Viz is going to keep making reference to this for a while, as we all are, and I love it. Kevin, where can the people follow you on Twitter? So I can be followed at kmontelvon7. And I wanted to, to send a shout-out to uh, to Diego. I know he's going to gonna be um, retiring soon since he's getting married. <laughs> what is that supposed to be? <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I meant from soccer in general. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. I see. There no, we more, go. no more late night pickup game. There we go. If he's going to get married, that means two married men on the show, which is, of course, Viz and now him. And it hasn't disrupted their workflow, which is good because as of this point, we are more reliable than Peruvian Congress. Not that that says much, but we will always be here for you and we will not dissolve. A, a quick word for Diego. Diego, there is life after marriage. I can I can attest to that uh, after being happily married for like two months now. So, <laughs> very large sample size. Anyways, this is the Peruvian Waltz team. We are signing off. <laughs>